Ahoy, it's your boy, and welcome to episode 14 of the podcast, This Is M. And uh, literally just as I'm starting here, um, you know, I sat down, honestly with the full intention <laughs> of uh, re-recording the last episode. Uh, episode 13 was me talking about stumbling on the I Ching, and um, I, I, it ended on a weird note, and um, I was not really happy with it. Um, and so I sat down thinking, you know what, I'm just going to give that one another shot. And which, um, but, uh, literally as I started hitting record, I decided, um, to not do that and just, uh, wing another episode. So, um, by the time you hear this, we'll be knocking on the door of the new year pretty soon. I think we might have one or two more episodes this year. Um, but for me, we're going into Thanksgiving, at the time of this recording, so I probably won't have time to record next week, so I figured, why not just uh, record for next week today? And I know I always say when I sit down, I, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but this is probably the most acutely uncertain I've been about um, of where we're going to go with this. Um, but let me buy some time and say, if you want to subscribe to the podcast... Dude, I, dude, I'm like out of breath, <laughs> and I'm not doing anything. Have you ever felt that way? Like I'm literally not, and I wasn't doing anything before this. I literally just sat down and started talking. Maybe I just wasn't physically prepared. I think this happens sometimes when you're on stage. You know, you start singing or I don't know what it is. And I, I usually talk about at some point at like the three quarter mark of the first song, I hit some sort of hiccup. Either I think it's like you're adjusting to the stage. Like the show starts... You know, you were already up there on stage for sound check, so you kind of have a sense of what it's going to feel and sound like. But once the lights are off and there's the crowd, it usually feels different. And at the beginning, you have all this adrenaline, so you're not really present. But once you start settling into the song, there's actually this shift of awareness where maybe I open my eyes or I start looking at the audience. <clears throat> and it's like it's like being self-conscious. And... um I think sometimes you you freak out for just a little bit that, oh shit, this is really happening. And you start to feel self-conscious or whatever. And um, you kind of have to rein it in. And then usually by the end of the first song, you're fine. And then once you're in the second song, it's just like any other show. Um, but uh, but yeah, dude, and I'm out of breath and I'm yawning and I'm yawning. So or actually I'm having these sort of like premonitions of yawns. They're not really like coming to fruition, but... Um, I was thinking when I did theater as a kid, I remember doing, <laughs> I think, well, I don't know. I'm kind of, it was basically this ch uh, ch children's edition of Das Rheingold. Have you ever heard of Das Rheingold? It's an opera by Richard Wagner. And it's the first opera in this cycle of operas called Der Ring des Nibelungen, or The Ring of the Nibelung. And uh, it's actually... I mean, it's based on... Um, is it Icelandic? Germanic folklore? Um, mythology? And But it was also the same... These same source texts that inspired uh, The Ring of the Nibelung were Tolkien's source texts for Lord of the Ring. You know, Lord of the... Yeah, Lord of the Ring. Is it plural? Lord of the Rings or Lord of the Ring? But the premise of the operas is, you know, this, um, uh, uh, is he, is he a Nibelung or is he just a dwarf? I don't know, but he's like in this sort of dwarf ogreish type character named Albrecht who, um, 
he and who knows how this is accomplished physically, but he's basically at the bottom of the Rhine River, and he meets he's, there's these Rhine maidens, and they're guarding the Rhine gold. And if anyone renounces love and steals the gold and forges a ring, um, they'll have um, power. They'll have world power in the same way that like Lord of the Rings, like one ring to rule them all, all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> and uh, basically, um, Wotan, who's like the, the king of the gods, goes down into Nibelheim, where Albrecht is, and steals the ring from him. And um, it's just this whole series of events in motion that play out over the next uh, the next three operas, so four operas in total. But anyway, we did this play of this like this um, this uh, children's adaptation of *Das Rheingold*, and um, I don't. And you know, when you're doing like youth theater or like community theater, your shows are usually at churches. And I remember the wife of the director was just kind of showing me around the stage and was like, oh, and this is stage right, and this is stage left. And she was just sort of standing there talking to me. And I don't know why the fuck I said this. Kids are so goddamn rude. But I just look at her and go, are you out of breath? And she was like, no. And I could tell, I could tell that made her feel really insecure. And, um, because I think, <clears throat> because I said it sort of incredulously, like, wow, are you out of breath? And I think she was like, uh, no, but I definitely made her feel like physically unfit or at least self-conscious that there was something about her physical presentation or whatever. That was, I was certainly, I was noticing to the extent that I felt the need to fucking say something about it. And, uh, yeah, but even as I'm sitting here as I'm, yeah, I feel like I'm not getting enough air or something. Maybe I'm just nervous. But, uh, but yeah. I'm tired. But uh, what I was really about to say is, um, when I, before I went off on that tangent, is um, if you want to subscribe to the podcasts, not multiple podcasts, single podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you find uh, podcasts. And um, if, you, if you like what you hear so far, if you like what you have heard so far, if you like this show, if you're a fan of the show, um, take two minutes and give it a rate and review. Give it five stars. If you give it less, fuck off. And, uh, and say something nice about it. And um, if you want to help us grow this, share an episode with a friend. Think of one person in your life. You know the deal. You've heard your boy say this multiple times. But dude, if you know someone in your life who you think would like this show, send it to him. And, uh, and if you want to connect with my socials, and I don't post that much, but if you'd like to connect with my socials, uh, you can at this is M X O X O. Um, I feel like there was something else I wanted to emphasize that I always forget to say, but, uh, subscribe, subscribe on YouTube. These episodes get posted to YouTube also, but, um, eventually I want to, I want to do a video podcast. I want to add a video element, but we gotta, we gotta grow the audience first. Um, I had another moment <clears throat> when I was at work yesterday, I had another coworker come up to me and say, Oh, I checked out your music. And uh, I was thinking about it because I know on another episode recently, I mentioned that um, a former coworker of mine mentioned that she listened to the podcast and it made me feel really hyper-conscious or self-conscious rather. And um, yeah, I don't know. There's just something about, and maybe we all feel this way. Like, you know, if you post something on social media and then like one of your friends comes up to you and says, oh, I really liked your last post. You're like, oh shit. Yeah. People see this stuff. I forgot. Because there's something so ephemeral about social media. Even seeing people like and comment on your stuff 
I mean, you know it's you know it's real, but it doesn't feel real. There's no real. I don't know. It's like it's. I don't know. Like I've had this thought. I've had this thought. Like people. Like. And it actually came up in this conversation when this person told me about listening to my music and and this whole thing about social media. I basically went into a conversation about that. But I was saying, you know, when I'm on social media now, especially Facebook, my overarching feeling is disgust. Like I literally fucking hate everything that everybody posts. Either either it's about politics or it's these fucking super self-serious posts about their people's own lives. Like I remember I was going off on somebody who was talking about their relationship, you know, people post these anniversary Facebook posts and this person was talking about their relationship as if they have braved togetherness. Someone else was recently posting about Oh God, I, I probably shouldn't go into specifics, but you, you, look, just it was a long-winded, super self-serious post about something you don't give a fuck about, and this person is just going on and on, and of, and of course I'm fucking reading the whole thing, so who is the joke really on? But yeah, my overarching feeling when I look at social media is disgust, and I think the, the unfortunate part is the algorithm, <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. Basically, it doesn't care what you're feeling when you look at the content. It's only vested interest is in getting you to look at more of it. So if it goes, oh, this person's really looking at this individual's posts or these types of posts, let's show them more of these types of posts, it becomes like this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, whatever, regardless of the, feel, the, the emotional response that you have to it, as long as it keeps you engaged with the platform, uh, they'll show you more of it. And so maybe that's what's happening. Maybe it's this echo chamber of disgust. So because I engage with content that is disappointing and disgusting to me, <laughs> I'm seeing more of it. But uh, but the interesting, but, I mean, the reason I think about that is I think, well, why do I even fucking engage at all? If I really don't like it, why do I engage with it at all? And what does it say about me that the content that I actually engage with is not the good stuff, it's the stuff I don't like? I think it has something to do with songwriting, um, which is somebody once observed casually. They were like, why aren't there more happy songs? And I didn't think about it a lot at the time, but I since have. And I said, I said, I said something like, you know, I think, I think the reason most songs are sad is because those are the types of feelings that you sit with. You know, when you're happy, you don't really think about it. You're just sort of happy in the moment and present and it sort of disappears. But when you're sad, you ruminate. And because songwriting takes time, I, I mean, you know, I don't know. People say the best songs sort of come to you in a in a moment, but overall, you got to work pretty hard. Um, you know, those are the those are the types of things that you chew over and think about. And so, I think those that's I think that's why a lot of art, music, movies. You know, I think that's why those are about sad topics. Um, they're more. Not just nuance, they're more sumptuous. Does that make sense? The there's just more to be sort of mulled over and looked at. They're, and they're more prismatic. You can sort of turn these types of feelings over in your hands and see all the dimensions and I don't know, they're just more nuanced. Whereas happy is just happy. Um But yeah, there's something when I when there's something more interesting to me about when I go through social media, I just look at the shit that bothers me. And even though it's not happiness, there's just more there for me to chew on. And I think, 
you know, I'm thinking of, um, there's an old, I guess he was Roman. He wrote in Latin, um, a Roman writer named Horace. Have you heard that name? H-O-R-A-C-E. And uh, he wrote these satires, which are basically these sort of comic essays. And they're not like laugh out loud funny because a lot of it is just sort of funny for the time period. <clears throat> but he has this um, he has this one satire. I think it's called Qui Fit Mycenas, which is Latin for how is it Mycenas? Mycenas was one of his patrons. And so a lot of his pieces are sort of written epis- uh well, he does have epistles, which are letters. So, I was going to say they're they're sort of epistolic. But, um, um, dude, your boy is so fucking smart, dude. Jesus Christ, dude. Did you know that your boy was the smart? <laughs> of course you did. That's why you like this fucking podcast. But, um, I think it's Quefit Mycenas. But, um, <clears throat> he has a satire where he talks about, uh. Um, or at least this moment in it. And I don't know. I want to look it up because it's actually, it's really good. But he has this moment where he talks about how he goes through the world. And it was one of the first times when I was younger that I read something. And it was literally like a fucking hand reaching through history and touching me. And I was like, oh, dude, I'm like this person. I felt like this came up on the last episode. Oh, I was talking about in terms of the I Ching. Like, there's plenty of things that you read where you go, oh, that's me. Oh, that's how I think. That's how I experience myself. And I was saying that the I Ching was even deeper than that. But what I had with this satire by Horace was, you know, the more common experience, which was someone was articulating something that I experienced all the time, but had never really put into words, but had sort of calcified or solidified this aspect of myself that I knew existed but didn't know how to talk about and sort of showed it to me. Do you know what I mean? It was something that like held a mirror up to me and said, oh, this is who you are. And I go, oh, fuck yeah. Like Jerry Seinfeld in his, uh, there's a great documentary called Comedian. I saw fucking years ago and it always stuck with me. But it was this thing where Jerry Seinfeld, and I think it's in this documentary, it could have been in another interview, but Jerry Seinfeld said, comedy is, is reminding people of things they already knew were funny. You know, some of, the, some of the funniest moments of a stand-up comedian set are when they just say something that they experience. Like, that's, and maybe this is sort of, um, maybe this is sort of the root of Jerry Seinfeld's sort of observational humor, but he's like, what is with these things? You know, what is it with airplane food? And everybody goes, oh shit, yeah, that is fucked up. What is that? You know, it's things that everybody already knows, and on some level knows is funny, but someone's like representing it to you and going, oh yeah, huh, that shit's funny. Um, that can be what it's like when you read a good book or find a band that you really like. You know, it's like, I don't know, you found something that's waiting for you. But anyway, Horace in this satire talks about, and I'm totally paraphrasing here, but he's like, when I go through life, I never don't observe myself. Um, I always look at other people's behavior and think, oh, that wasn't very nice. Or I hope when I'm in a similar situation, I won't do the same thing. Or I should do more of that. I enjoyed when that person did that. I should do more of that. And when I have a moment, I sit and I write these things down. And for some reason, that phrase, which I'm paraphrasing and kind of butchering probably, summed up so much about how I experience... um, my own life. And as I'm sort of coming to the point, I have no fucking idea why I'm talking about that. Why am I talking about Horace? Seeing yourself. See, I don't know. Who the fuck knows, man? But, uh, dude, (laughs) 
this is, uh, yeah, it's so crazy. I don't know why I feel cursed. Last time I felt cursed because uh, every time I was trying to come to a good point, um, uh, there was some noise outside my place bothering me. So, uh, But now I have to go to the bathroom. So I'm going to do that, play the music, and I'll BRB. Ah, that's better. Um, yeah, and as I was going to the bathroom, I remembered I was bringing that up because I was saying, you know, this idea of, you know, why is it that I enjoy these Facebook posts or these social media posts that I fucking hate instead of focusing on the ones I like? And, and, I, and I was saying because I think there's more to turn over there. And because I have this strain where I go, you know, I try to understand what's motivating people. And what I don't understand is maybe I'm just overconfident. Maybe I'm just judgmental. But when I read these posts, I feel like I have a pretty clear sense of what's going on. Where I feel like, oh, this person is... I guess what I'm confused by is I I read these super self-serious posts and my primary feeling is disgust. And I think, wow, I'm kind of embarrassed for this person because what I usually experience is they're presenting themselves as one way and I feel them working very hard to have people experience them one way. And usually it's when they're talking about themselves um, as a victim or they're sort of vague posting. And I'm confused by the just the fucking cascade of comments beneath these posts that feel... So, sycophantic isn't the right word, but I'm just sort of confused by the whole interaction. There's something about both the post and the comments that feels phenomenally disingenuous to me. It feels so fucking fake. And I just have this super strong feeling of, like, otherness. I, I can't relate. I'm sort of embarrassed or can't relate to the what I experience as, like, the motivation for this person posting, which usually feels, you know... um, Thirsty is the word that comes to mind, um, which is, it's something that comes up in my own therapy, and, and we'll probably get to that, actually, but um, it feels thirsty, and it feels desperate, and it feels needy, and it feels, um, and also, I usually just don't agree, like, the, 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 their take or whatever that they're talking about, it doesn't, it doesn't seem very reasoned, and it doesn't seem very fair, and it, I don't know, it just feels fucking confused. And then when people just sort of write these comments that are sort of, I don't know, they're trying to console the person or, you know, it just, it feels like, I don't know, I just can't relate to it at all. Do you know what I'm talking about? When I talk about these things, I feel kind of embarrassed because I, I don't know the words to say. I don't know how to articulate what I'm feeling exactly. But there's a part of me that just has to believe that you know what the fuck I'm talking about. You know, I I just feel like if you like this podcast, if you dig my vibe, if you like what you've been hearing, dude, we got to be the same on some wavelength. Like, we got to be on some wavelength together. And I know I don't have all the answers, and I don't know how to talk about these things sometimes, and I know I'm just talking here, but dude, you got to have a sense of what I'm talking about. I mean, and it's, I, I think what I'm talking about, it's as simple as like when people are posting selfies and shit, and you can tell they're just like distorting their face for the camera or they're using dude the epitome to me is the fucking facebook photoshop filter shit that everybody's doing on their photos that is probably the best example where i go yeah i I literally see what you're posting and go who do you think you're fucking kidding that's not your face 
And I feel exactly the same way when people post these confessional, super self-serious, whatever the fuck posts about their life. I just think, who do you think you're kidding? You know, I feel like they're trying to sell me some version of themselves. You know, they're posting some super long, self-serious Facebook post as if, as if this is just some sort of, I don't know, emotional catharsis. You know, they just needed to get this out. And I'm like, motherfucker, I can read, I can read this and know that you spent a lot of fucking time on this. This is a labored post. Do you know what I mean? You are super conscious of how you want people to read and experience this. And, uh, and the fact that people just seem to like lap it up, it's confusing to me. I just fucking read that shit and I mean, I don't even fucking respond and I'm embarrassed for people, frankly. But I, I, that it's, what I'm saying is I feel the same way when I see people post a photo of themselves that's like, dude, that's not what you look like. You know, I have this thing, people usually have a camera face. I first noticed this when I was younger. Actually, when I was going to boarding school, I was like 15. And there was a dude um, who was uh, probably one of my best friends when I was in school. But because he talked about it, and I, you know, I could just tell that I knew he was insecure about himself. I knew he was insecure about his physique. And he was like a fit, fit person. But some people just have like a rounder face than other people. And I could tell he was really insecure about it. But he was also like hyper hygienic. He would shower like three times a day. He was, you know, not vain in a super pejorative way, but he was just hyper conscious of how he looked. And I remember every time I would be in his room and he looked in the mirror, he would like, you know, suck his cheeks in the way a lot of girls do when they take photos, you know. They either blow a kiss at the camera in a certain way that sucks their cheek in, or they they make some silly face that sort of compensates for some facial uh, thing, something about themselves that they're insecure about or they don't like. And I realized, oh, this guy does this so often, he's not even aware he's doing it. You know, there's no part of him that's consciously thinking, oh, I'm looking in the mirror, I need to suck my cheeks in. It's something he's done for himself. It's on autopilot now. It's something he started doing, and now he's just conditioned to present himself to himself in a way that he's more comfortable with. Does that make sense? If you put a and so I see this when when you point a camera at people, they automatically either adjust their pose or face the camera in a certain way or adjust their clothing to be more comfortable. Like for me, my brother used to fucking make fun of me because I would always do this thing and you'll never fucking be able to see it. But I would like raise my eyebrows in photos. And I don't know what the fuck, but at some point I got into my head like that's my face photo. That's my fucking face photo. I fucking lift my eyebrows. I don't do it anymore. But that's what I did. And my brother would say, dude, fucking relax your face. And I'd be like, and I would relax my face. But that's what I want to say to everybody all the fucking time. Like, don't show me your photo face. I think I said face photo a second ago. Don't show me your photo face. Show me your real face. And I feel that all the time. People are sort of going through life, or really I'm talking about social media, but people are posting on social media and they're presenting themselves a certain way where I want to be like, oh, dude, don't show me your photo face. Show me your real face. Like, I was sort of late to the Facebook game, and not like super late, but when I first moved out to California, you know, everybody was going to the UC here, and um, the University of California, 
where I live and everybody was on Facebook and I was like, well, what's, because they would talk about things like, oh, I posted on your wall I, and I was like, what the, what, what, what the fuck are you guys talking about? They're like, oh, Facebook. And this was literally right as like MySpace was fucking dying a slow death. But um, the, the first thing that really solidified for me, oh, this is what social media is and what it will be, is I had a coworker at the time who was just like a, a you know, normal coworker and I'd hung out with this person a ton because we all like we, I, we were working at a restaurant and people partying and shit and uh, so I hung out with this person a bunch and I remember when I friended them on Facebook and I looked at their profile it was all photography stuff it was them with a camera it was them taking selfies with their DSLR it was like photos they had taken and I was like oh this person thinks they're a photographer and even though I saw this person you know I don't know we worked all the time at this restaurant together hung out all the time no, and nothing they never mentioned photography it was never but I was like oh this is how they experience themselves like this person thinks of themselves as a photographer so that's who they present to the world via social media it's not who you are it's both how you see yourself and how you want other people to see you and for this person it was photographer dude for other people it's writer it's comedian it's whatever like I forget where it comes from, but there's a famous quote, or how do you say it? I don't know. There's some anecdotal story where people say, I don't know, it's like, you this, like, it's like oh, I want to be a writer. I don't want to write. I just want to be a writer. And that summed up how I experienced this person instantly. It was like, oh, this person doesn't want to actually take photos. They want to be a photographer. I mean, we all know we all know someone like that, right? That person who's writing a novel for the last 10 years and hasn't finished the first chapter, or they're writing a screenplay that they never finish. Or their, you know, their 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 Instagram or social media feed is full of them doing like 15 seconds of a cover song, but they haven't, you know, they don't perform, they don't Anyway. So yeah. I don't know, man. Fuck it all, right? <clears throat> but yeah, I was talking about this idea of thirsty. That's an adjective. Is that is it an adjective? I guess it is. That's an adjective that people, you know, anytime you're desperate, oh, that's a bit thirsty. That's an adjective that was getting thrown around a lot. Um, dude, I don't even fucking know if people use it anymore. But uh, it always stuck with me, and I liked it. And I, I think it's a pretty, I don't know, it's a pretty fitting adjective. Um, I think it describes, you know, that sort of thirsty. Oh, that feels a bit thirsty. Um, and I remember saying that in therapy one time. Uh, we were talking about my own feelings, you know, my own, um, I don't know, I was talking about maybe reaching out to someone or asking someone for a favor or something, um, probably following up on like a, either a performance opportunity or something else. And I was saying in therapy, I was like, oh, that's that, I don't know, it, it, I don't know, I'm worried it'll come across, across as a bit thirsty. And my therapist was like, well, I think it's very fascinating that you use that word. And I was like, why? And she reminded me of a story that I had told her. And I'll tell it to you now. So, <clears throat> you know, I don't know what to say about this stuff, but this is, you know, this is my podcast and I can sort of talk about whatever I want and, uh, you know your boy's honest, he'll just tell you the truth. And um, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel the need to sort of, uh, what's the word? Um, I don't know, preface this story. But um, 
I guess I'll just say it and you can, you can take what you take away what you want from it. But, um, I know in another episode, mother's makeup, I talked about uh, an experience I had with my mother and, and that story that I told you, it kind of sums up, you know, I think there's this thing that happens sometimes where, you know, you'll have one encounter with somebody that seems to sum up your entire experience of them. And it's not that, um, it's not that that one incident in and of itself was so powerful, but it serves as a totem or a placeholder for a thousand or thousands of other experiences you have of that person that you just can't remember because that's your normal. You have no basis of comparison. But for some reason, you have these experiences where even at the time, you almost feel hyper-conscious of them. And I don't know if it's like a moment of clarity, but for me, I always felt like the cosmos had like bookmarked these things. Or I have these moments where even in the living experience, there's like another voice inside my head going, remember this. Don't let go of this. And th- and that, I don't know, Like it's almost like folding a page on a book that you want to return to or highlighting something in the margin. That as you flip back over your life or something, that's the moment that you turn to and remind yourself of when you forget. Oh, right, that experience. And I had this moment um, when I was younger. I'm trying to think how old I was. I was probably like 12 or 13. And it was actually around Thanksgiving, which um, will have already passed by the time you hear this, but uh, is actually coming up in a little under a week for us. So it's fitting that I'm thinking about this now. But when I was 13, my dad and I took a trip to New York City for Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, when I was younger, I did theater. And so this was really a chance, um, one, for us to take a trip together. Um, But also, uh, my dad grew up around New York City. So it was a way for us. One, I had always wanted to go to New York City, but to go to Broadway, see some shows, and also just to to, to, to see the city, I always sort of like, like when you're young, certain people will like, or, or kids will pick a city that they want to live in eventually. For me, it was New York City. For some people, it's like Tokyo or um, Chicago. And for whatever reason, you know, when you're younger, you feel like, oh, I'm going to move there and, and, and live or whatever. And so for me, I thought it was going to be in New York City. Um, and it sounds weird talking about this because uh, I should feel uh, I mean it sounds like a great trip but the one memory that sticks out for me from that trip more than any other and it was a great trip we went to the Statue of Liberty there was the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade which we didn't go to but I remember seeing it on the TV from the hotel room knowing that it was happening in that city and thinking it was really cool like oh shit I'm in that city right now I remember we actually had Thanksgiving dinner at this little tiny Italian restaurant. We went out to Ellis Island, which is, there's a couple times, like, they're actually both with my dad when I think about it, but you go to to something that you think is going to be super stupid, like Hoover Dam, and you think, oh, fuck, dude, what a fucking bore fest. And it actually turns out to be fucking awesome. Hoover Dam was the shit. I remember going, oh, God, dude, this is fucking cool, man. Going to Ellis Island was the same thing. I was like, oh, who gives a fuck? It was awesome. And we went to a bunch of shows that week. We saw Rent. We saw Phantom of the Opera. We saw Miss Saigon. And one of the last shows we saw was Jekyll and Hyde. And I remember the show ended. We were walking up the aisle. We were sort of towards the front. And so we're on the bottom floor of the orchestra. We're sort of walking up toward the aisle. And my dad always carried water with him 
these sort of, you know, little plastic water bottles. And I remember I just sort of, you know, he had this little water bottle with a little water at the bottom of it. And I just say, oh, can I get some water? And he hands me the water bottle and I just finish it. There's like a little, you know, there's like a little sip back there. And I finish the water bottle and I hand it back to him. And he looks at me after finishing this water. He gives me this look of just like just incredulousness and disgust. And I remember kind of, I don't know, I gave gave him kind of a, like a laugh look, like, oh, finished your water. Yeah, oh, here you go. And I think when I handed it back to him, he just did this, like sort of, uh, not guffaw, I don't know the word for it, but this, just like exultation. No, that's not the word. I don't know what it is. Uh, He was just exasperated. He was like, he was exasperated. And, did not speak to me for the entire walk back to the hotel, which was like a dozen city blocks. But walking up through that, finishing his water, he, him looking at me with disgust and, and, and not speaking to me. And maybe not even for the rest of the night. I think we just went back to the hotel room and went to bed. But that memory more than any other is it was my takeaway from our trip to New York City. But I remember saying that story in therapy one time and that having a, that was sort of a uh, watershed moment for us. <clears throat> but when I was talking about wanting to follow up on this other thing, that's been like one of the benchmarks things that we always come back to. You know, it, it's hard for me to ask for things. It's hard for me to uh, to advocate for myself in certain situations. And uh, we always go back to this idea of the water bottle. And so, and I, I don't know what we were talking about, but like I said, maybe it was following up on some sort of performance opportunity or whatever. But when I use that adjective thirsty, um, my therapist was like, oh, I think it's very interesting that you use that word, given that story that we always come back to. And it was one of those moments like, uh, sometimes you feel like therapy is a game of chess. Like this book, I... I'm fairly confident I mentioned it before. It's called The Drama of the Gifted Child. I think the author's name is Alice Miller. But, uh, and I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but it's not drama of the gifted child like talented kids. It uses gifted child in terms of talent is as in the ability, the talent of children to become what their parents need them to be. Um, You know, narcissism is a word that gets thrown around a lot, but whatever word you want to apply to it, there's many parents who have this predisposition where, you know, <clears throat> the ideal parent under, sees their child as an autonomous person um, who's not necessarily an extension of themselves. And they give their child space to be whoever they are and find a way to meet their kids where they're at and to give them space to become the people that they're going to be. Um, but a lot of parents, by their own capacity or limitations, you know, they need their children to be certain things to, to meet unfulfilled needs within themselves. You know, that's when you get like the, 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 the theater, the show parent or the, whatever you want to call it. Um, or, or the people like I start, I'm halfway through I, Tanya right now, which is a bio, bio, biopic about, uh, Tanya Harding, which is fucking incredible by the way. Normally I hate biopics, but this is like really well done. 
but this is where you you know the people who the 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 parents who need their children to be successful or uh, searching for Bobby Fischer is a movie that's come up where his dad really wants his child to be a successful chess prodigy and who knows why but uh, that's that's uh, you know where the child becomes some sort of extension of yourself you need them to to succeed or to be a type of person to compensate for what you think are your own shortcomings but um but um in this book the drama of the gifted child there's one line that sort of sticks out for me where the author who i think is alice miller you can confirm this or not but um is a therapist herself she's talking about from her own practice and she says something like you know, the patient is always simultaneously sharing and hiding their story from you. And so therapy can sometimes be this, not that you're lying, but it can be this sort of give and take where you're both trying to talk about your feelings, but in a way that you're not even conscious of, you're withholding information, especially if you're talking about something that's vulnerable to you. You're sort of letting a lion out a little bit, but you're constantly... And again, not consciously, but you're looking to the therapist for their reaction to see if this is a safe environment to be talking about this in. And it can be, dude, in a way it's like this podcast. And because I don't have any feedback, I think, you know, those moments that I talk about where I feel like I've shared too much or I'm not talking articulately enough about something, it's because I don't have that feedback, that immediate feedback of somebody going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, or responding responding to me and letting me know that it's safe to share more. You know, so that part of me that's, simultaneously hiding my story is sort of like reeling the line back in. And, um, and, uh, oh dude. And even as I'm talking about this, like I know I'm wading into waters that are not entirely comfortable. And so as my thinking starts to shut down, I know that's like my defense mechanism. Like, uh Oh, should we be talking about this? We got to reel it back in. And my thinking becomes confused. And, um, so I, I literally feel myself like kind of struggling to get back to where I was. Like I talk about it in terms of this movie, um, Memento, you know, starring Guy Pierce, where he, you know, he's had a traumatic brain injury and he can't make new memories. And every few minutes or so, he'll look up in a room and be like, oh, where am I? How did I get here? That's the sort of effect that I, that I think these sorts of thinking, this, this type of thinking can have. You know, you, you start talking about it, but you're, defense mechanism sort of surfaces and starts shutting things down, you know? Um, so sorry, as I try to sort of find my way back to what I was talking about, but, um, but yeah, simultaneously sharing and hiding your story. Yeah, it's funny. These are the types of things that happen to me in therapy all the time. And I think like, oh, dude, my therapist like heard my podcast. This would be a moment where she goes, yeah, well, this is it. (laughs) This moment right here, this is exactly what we're talking about. You know, I start to wade into waters and all of a sudden things shut down for me. Um, But yeah, being thirsty... Yeah, I don't know. I may listen back and realize that there was actually a whole other direction I wanted to go with this, but just to bring it back to my feelings of social media. So even though I look at people's posts and my, you know, I say my overarching feeling is disgust and I'm sort of embarrassed for people, 
you know, anytime I actually try to talk about these feelings in therapy, my, my therapist will say things like, well, what, what is it about it that bothers you so much? You know, what do you think it means to you? And she'll bring it back to this idea of, you know, could it be that, you know, these people are asking for something and that's what's distressing to you? Meaning, you know, it, and this is the part when it comes up, you just want to go, oh, please, come on, man. Because I don't experience it as like, oh, I want this. I experience it as like, oh, fuck, I'm embarrassed for this person. But could it be that on some level what I really want is to be able to post that way? And I'm looking at them like through my dad's eyes. You know, that being, quote, thirsty has become this, you know, to, of needing your thirst quenched. Like, what, like what, what do I really imagine? Okay, so this person's going through something. And maybe I look at their post and, it, and for some reason I'm embarrassed because I say... What is the thought process exactly? Oh, this person's suffering. Oh, how embarrassing for them to post on social media. Like, isn't it obvious that all they're wanting is attention? Isn't it obvious that, you know, they're not being entirely, you know, fair or honest about the situation? They're really just posting in such a way to have some sort of, you know, juvenile need men of being like consoled by social media and how fake and how whatever. But What's wrong with that, really, when you really think about it? What's wrong with that? Let's say this person is suffering. What's wrong with them turning to social media and getting support from their friends? Is there really anything wrong with that? And when I, when I put it that way, I think, well, no. <laughs> and yet it still fucking bothers me. I'm still embarrassed for them. And so even though I sit here, and even though I'm kind of like, I'm not even playing devil's advocate. I mean, I'm really just trying to be fair about the whole thing. And I think, yeah, I know. There's there's really nothing wrong with it. It still fucking bothers me. I still think, yeah, even give, given that, yeah, but still. But still, fuck that. <laughs> that person should know better. Is that just, you know, the 13-year-old me who's being given the silent treatment for just quenching their thirst? For being thirsty? You know, that's that overtly or covertly or however you want to conspicuously, inconspicuously. I don't fucking know. You know, the, the message I was receiving, obviously, at that time was, well, you better not want anything. You better not need anything. Certainly not of the, you know, because I, I, I think what bothered my dad the most was, and again, we've never really talked about this, but when I look back on it and I try to be fair and think, but what was going through his mind exactly? I mean, I can understand being like, damn, I wanted some of that water too, but how far are we from water? You know, if you wanted another bottle of water, you could certainly find one and your kid was thirsty. Um, but I'm wondering if it didn't have more to do with, yeah, I don't know. Your dad's taking you on this night, nice trip. I don't know. It felt like he, I don't know. My, my takeaway from that experience was like, I was, I was overstepping my, boundaries or something i was i should have i should have been satiated somehow and me finishing his water was some concrete example of something he was already feeling internally which is that i was taking too much i was asking too much You know, and I had a, I mean, I, I, I'm, and I don't know if it's true, but I'm willing to just say it to just cover the, cover my ass or my bases or whatever. But I, I think it's fair to say I had the most privileged upbringing of anybody I've ever met in my life. 
and on some level, I already know that that's not true, but, um, I'm just sort of willing to say that to just sort of cover my ass <laughs> and just go ahead and, and just say, I probably have the most privileged upbringing of anybody I know. I mean, we never wanted for anything. And, uh, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, my dad took me on a trip to New York city to see a bunch of Broadway shows and, you know, I mean, it was sort of a non-issue, right? That was just sort of my, that was normal for me growing up. And I think for all that, all that privilege, it's never really, you know, it wasn't an unmitigated boon. And I know it's hard for people to treat that as seriously, you know? Um, I mean, even working as a, as a, as a, as a crisis line counselor, you know, you hear people who would just have horrific or, or really living in impossible circumstances, and so to say both you had an incredibly privileged childhood, but there were other things that bothered you. It's like people are like, fine, sign me up. But, um, but uh, for all the, the, quote, advantages that I had growing up, you know, it wasn't an unmitigated boon. And um, and yeah, dude, I don't know. Again, even as I'm talking about this, I feel like I'm, I'm sort of like telling tales out of school, like I shouldn't be talking about this. But um, But I do think, I think even though I was given a lot as a kid, there was always this resentment that came with it. You know, my mom certainly didn't have uh, a great upbringing. I think my, my, I don't know. I think my dad had a pretty good upbringing, but he was certainly, I mean, we certainly had more opportunities and resources than either of them together, probably. <clears throat> but it was always those things, you know, there was always this sense that those things were given con- conditionally or uh, with resentment, almost with disgust. You know, I, I was saying, you know, when I was growing up, my mom was sort of like, you know, it was, it was sort of weird. There was two things. Uh, a lot of my memories are my mom just sort of like taking us around to do things to sort of keep us entertained and stuff, going to the movies, going to the video store. Um, entertaining the kids but i also remember i spent so much time with babysitters and i don't really know why um but i just spent so much goddamn time with babysitters and i really don't know i really don't know why that was the case when i think about it i can't think of a practical reason why um we would have needed that much oversight or whatever but my mom's mantra growing up was Literally every time we went somewhere was this mantra of, you think I want to do this? I don't want to do this. If I had it up to me, you think we'd be doing this? No way. We'd be staying at home. I'm doing this for you guys. You know, you guys don't know how lucky you are. Most kids don't have this experience. I mean, I remember one time, uh, me and my brother, I don't know why we wanted to go to the toy store or something. And I remember he and I having this powwow of like, Oh, I don't know. Should we ask? Like, I don't know. Uh, and I know it sounds crazy. I mean, people look at you like you're nuts for saying, Oh, I want to go to the toy store. Uh, and I don't know, but there, I don't know if, I don't know if, I don't know if you'll get a fair hearing when you talk about something like this, but there's something about that. Just wanting to ask for something, even if the answer is no, the, 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 the conflict is not whether or not you go, it's whether or not you ask to go. And, and what is the consequence of the answer going to make you feel like is the struggle. You know, 
if the answer is no, it won't just be, oh, no, like go back to playing. It's like you're going to get scolded for it and you're going to be told, you're going to be told, like, why would you even want to? Well, of course you want to go to the toy store. You're a kid, (laughs) you know, but to be chastised for wanting to go. That's if there's something. Yeah, I don't know. I said the word incredulous a while ago. I think that's the word I keep coming back to as if it's not just that you did something your parents don't like. It's that they're confused that you would even do it. Do you know what I mean? It's that sort of incredulousness of like, where is this behavior coming from? Who is this kid? Who did I raise and how did they get to become this way? As if there's something sort of fundamentally wrong with you. I think when I was talking about mother's makeup, I was saying, you know, and for those of you who haven't heard it, I basically had this, told this story in another episode called Mother's Makeup. I don't remember what the episode number is. It could be like four or five or something like that. <clears throat> but I told this story about how I had like, I was like cleaning my face and my nails were too long and I had ended up like cutting up my face and I woke up and there were scabs all over it and I was super embarrassed and didn't want to go to school. So I pretended to be sick for a week. And then when I couldn't keep the ruse up any longer, I like stole my mom's makeup and put it on and tried to, you know, pretend like everything was okay. And nobody really addressed it. And instead of someone just being an adult or just honest and saying, hey, what's going on? And having an honest conversation with me about, yeah, well, of, of course you want to cover your face up. You know, it's, um, it's embarrassing to go to school looking like that. And of course you're feeling self-conscious as a teenager. And, you know, let's talk about, you know, what's going to make you feel better. Maybe you do want to wear the makeup. And here, let me show you how to, you know, use it in a way that's, I don't know, it's going to be less conspicuous or... Yeah, maybe you do want to spend some time home from school. Or even if the answer is, hey, you got to go to school, we can have an honest conversation about, yeah, it is uncomfortable to go to school when you feel that way. But, you know, it's only temporary. And look, it's, I, I don't know, just having a more honest dialogue about the, the, the circumstance rather than being treated with disgust. You know, I tell this story about my mom sort of cornering me in the kitchen and like, you know, putting me in this vulnerable position where she like, wiped the makeup off off my nose and showed it to me and like confronted me about it and made me feel awful. You know, and I look back on that. I think, Oh, that's such a strange thing to do. Like what's motivating that behavior? Why humble your kid that way? Or why shame, shame them really is the word. Why shame them that way? And the weird part is even as I tell, you know, I tell this story about, I tell this story about my dad sort of shaming me for finishing his water. Dude, of course it sounds so silly. Or maybe it doesn't. But there's a part of me that's saying, dude, that's so fucking silly. Like, you know, I wasn't chained to the radiator growing up and nobody put cigarettes out on my arm and I wasn't ritualistically abused. Like some stories I hear sometimes. Um, anyway, but this is a podcast about me and my life and my stories and my and my thoughts and you know, those are a big constituent part of like who I am, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, when I read these Facebook posts and somebody's, I don't know, they're kind of just advertising what they need from people. Dude, I judge people so hard for it. I'm so hard on them. And like I said, I'm embarrassed for them, but maybe I'm just looking at them through the lens of my parents you know, I'm shaming them or wanting to shame them for wanting things. And I think the part that I, I sort of get swept up in or that I think about is 
even as even as I'm saying this, you know, if you're expecting a catharsis where I say, hmm, man, you know what? Maybe I should really, maybe I should really change the way I view. Dude, fuck no. I'm still convinced. <laughs> I'm still convinced that I'm fucking right. You know, I can have this whole other dialogue where I talk about this and I try to explore it. And I know that there's people listening. Oh, well, maybe this is where he has the insight where... Um, he says, well, maybe I need to be more fair-minded with people. Dude, no, fuck. I still, I still judge them. I think like two episodes I was talking about this. Like people's super self-serious Facebook posts. I look at it as a form of rudeness. Dude, I still, I, dude, I still feel that way. <laughs> and I'm still embarrassed for people. I still think they're going about it the wrong way. Like, I'd have much more respect for somebody, and who knows, I, again, I'm, maybe I'm just being too hard on people or wanting things for them that maybe they're not capable of or they don't have the capacity for. I have much more refre- respect for somebody who just posts, hey, you know, I'm feeling bad, you know, help tri- I'm looking for people to help me, make, help, help me feel better by posting nice things about me in the comments. Dude, would I ever do that? Fuck no. But... You know, at least I respect it. At least that person, I think, is presenting themselves in a way where they seem self-aware. And maybe that's what it is. Again, I go back to this idea where I feel like, who, the, who does this person think they're kidding? You know, I feel like I'm being asked to dance. You know, to play in some emotional charade. I always feel this sort of, here's how I'm presenting myself, but here's what's really going on. And there's something about the comments, the sort of consoling comments, the sort of whatever, uh, you know, where I just, I just, I don't know. It feels like an emotional charade. And maybe that's just to be expected. Maybe that is social media. Maybe it's just this superficial charade. I mean, I literally, dude, I literally just finished writing this paper uh, yesterday, actually, about social media use and depression. And as I'm talking about it, it's the last fucking thing I want to talk about. So I really have nothing to say about it. (sighs) But, um, but yeah, it's funny. I mean, social media, it's called social, social is in there, but it's funny, even though social media is sort of touted as a way to connect people, it's a fundamentally, it's to me, it's fundamentally antisocial and isolating. You know, and there's some debate that still exists, so it's not definitive. But, you know, there's, there are studies that seem to demonstrate that um, social media use is positively related to negative emotions. The longer you use certain platforms, especially Facebook, the worse you feel. They call it like an effective forecasting error. People use these tools or they engage with social media because they think it's going to make them feel better. It actually makes them feel worse. And when they do these, I don't know, I guess you call it like neuroimaging scans or whatever. You know, the parts of the brain that light up when people are motivated to use social media, it's, it's, it's like addiction. Anyway, it's super fucking boring. I was about to, you know, this whole, there's this whole idea of like a dual system model of behavior, which is that, you know, there's, and there's, it, it's more nuanced than this, but basically, <clears throat> you know, there's, there's, broadly there's sort of like two systems of, of of mental operations there's like lower lower order mental operations and higher level order operations and lower order operations are impulsive automatic behaviors that gratify more automatic needs that we have but basically 
you know, there's this whole idea when you do something that's pleasurable, there's this sort of dopamine reward system. And so because you get pleasure, you're these, there's this sort of like synaptic bias for things that trigger these, they call them hedonic or pleasurable states, right? So you get conditioned to do these impulsive things that, that bring you pleasure. Um, on the other hand, you have your sort of higher mental order or higher order mental operations, which are more reasoned, more considered, uh, the types of decisions that go, that are an investment in your long-term well-being. And sometimes the things that bring us immediate pleasure are actually not good for us in the long term. But because our synapses are biased toward these sort of dopaminergic responses, you know, we can get swept up in these things that may bring us instant gratification and actually make us miserable in the long term because, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a completely different system of thinking and operations that governs this type of behavior. And, you know, we just can't access our higher order sort of critical thinking mechanisms that would sort of stop this behavior. But anyway, I basically just regurgitating my fucking paper at you. But, um, but, um, I think what I'm saying by that is even though I'm talking about this as if it's a miserable experience, there's something about this interaction, this continued use of social media that's still, gratifying on some level. Like maybe I get some pleasure out of feeling better than people. I mean, I'm sure I do. I, I, I dude, I think everybody does. Like I remember, dude, I, I mean, I live in a time where I remember like a pre reality TV world. And I remember when the reality shows first hit and not that, you know, keeping up with the, and by the way, I've never seen an episode of keeping up with the Kardashians. But when that show first came out, that was like a new era of reality TV. And that became the benchmark for like shitty TV. And everybody was fucking skewering it. And yet it was the most popular, one of the most popular shows on television. And people would always talk about it with incredulousness. Like, how is this fucking show popular? It's fucking awful. Have you seen it? But what was clear to me is, of course, it's fucking popular. Because it's not that everybody who watches it loves it, and they they partly do, but I bet even the people who watch it, their favorite part about it is how much they hate it. Because there's something about life, there's something about how we're wired, which is no matter how bad we're doing in our own lives, how much we're struggling, how unhappy we are, as long as we can look at somebody else and say, at least I'm not that person, we enjoy it. And you better fucking, I mean, dude, your boy has his own problems for sure. Your boy is dealing with his own shit, no doubt about it. But you better fucking believe when I look at a lot of this thirsty shit online, there's a part of me that goes, well, at least I'm not that person. At least I'm smarter than that. Dude, at least I have it more figured out than that motherfucker. Like, I see people out there fucking drowning. And I don't mean literally drowning. I mean, look, I, you know, there's people, there, there are people who post genuinely concerning things on social media, right? Where you think, oh, fuck, that person is struggling for real, for real. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those people who I feel like, dude, get a fucking handle on yourself and get your shit together. You know what I mean? Anyway, dude, profound shit. And literally, I felt myself about to make some sort of point and shied away from it. So you know it was fucking vulnerable. And I don't remember what it was. Man. 
Yeah, I don't know. I'll just keep scratching it. Yeah, I was talking about, you know, there's something about me looking at this stuff that I get pleasure out of it. That idea of at least I'm not that fucking person. You know, at least when I look at that, I feel like I have myself more figured out than that person. Like, I, it, the stuff that bothers me the most is when I feel like, again, I go back to this idea of like, who, did that, who is that first, who, who does that person think they're fucking kidding? And they just seem like a stranger to themselves. Like, I get it, people looking in the, in the, in the mirror and having their photo face and doing it. That's, that's not the problem. I, I you know, I, I think most of what we do is, is, is in some ways outside of our control. We're just biological beings, you know, that are operating on, on system or on software systems, for lack of a better word, that, that would, are, are just outside of our control. But not knowing that you're doing it, that's the fucking part that bothers me. When people seem unself-aware, like, I know if I ever called people on the behavior, they would fucking deny it. And they would, def- you know, they would, they would, again, try to insist that something else was motivating their behavior when it's not. So, I don't know. Maybe it's not just that they're asking for something, but that they seem unself-aware. That's the part that fucking bothers me, too. I'm not, I can't say that that's the whole story, but that's a big fucking part of it. <sighs> And yet the irony is not lost. I mean, like, oh, oh, dude, you're you're dude. Your boy has a fucking podcast where he just spills his guts for an hour at a time. What's motivating that fucking behavior, bro? Dude, you don't like people who fucking have super long, super self serious Facebook posts, dude? How about an hour long podcast episode? What do you call that? That's like the king of fucking vague posting. the king of vague posting that sounds like a fucking album title it's i i was tempted to say that could be the title of this podcast but no fucking way the king of vague posting vague posting <clears throat> could that could that, that almost sounds like a land from like it's from winterfell or game of thrones or some shit the earl of vague posting anyway dude you guys are you guys are awesome thanks for listening to the podcast um yeah i was gonna say we covered a lot of ground on this one but um i don't know we probably hit one we probably were hitting almost one note exclusively dude thanks for sitting through these dude i I, you know again i don't know what the fuck we're gonna talk about when we do this and uh who knows where it's gonna go but uh, it means a lot that you listen that you uh subscribe and that you guys listen regularly um I, uh, I I see my music's about to play me off here. So uh, if I can wrap up here quickly, let's do that. Um, thanks for, you know, again, thanks for everyone's messages. I got a few recently, people who enjoy listening to the podcast, who uh, like hearing me talk, um, who like hanging out with me once a week and just hearing me talk about whatever the fuck we get into. Um, it means a lot that you guys listen. And uh, if you want to subscribe and listen more, you can on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, and on YouTube, subscribe on YouTube. Um, when this becomes a video podcast, a video podcast, you'll be connected. And, um, if you can take a few minutes to rate and review the podcast and give it a five star review, that would be helpful. And if you want to connect with my socials, you can at this is M X O X O. 
I don't know what you guys are getting into uh, this weekend, but I hope it's fun. I hope it's safe. And uh, keep it thirsty. We'll talk to you guys real soon. Until next time. Okay? Ciao for now.